Hey there, Jason Whiteley with you. You know, as early voting begins, Republicans lead every single statewide poll there is. These are single-digit leads. They're not as big as they've been in the past, but still, a lead is a lead, a win is a win. Everyone knows that. That said, we have a great episode for you this week. We really get into the weeds about Texas Democrats, what the party the Democratic Party, the left, is not doing in this state and is not doing in South Texas specifically. Why does that part of the state matter so much? There's also a few congressional races that might get tighter than polls show. So for excellent insight this week, we have Chuck Rocha on, a friend of the program. If you've listened to Yolitics before, you probably remember him and Mike Madrid uh, on the program not too long ago. They both host the Latino Vote podcast. Chuck has the East Texas accent, old school Democrat. He's now the senior most Latino politico in Washington, D.C. He runs his own political firm there. But before we start this episode... The reason I'm talking to you first before you hear our catchy little tune here, just want to give you a heads up. There are a few curse words scattered about in this conversation. So with that on the table, let's get to it. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Hey there, welcome to Yolitics. Uh, you know, Wheeler took off on me uh, again this week. He's out for a couple of weeks before we get going here uh, towards the election. I don't know how he has so much time off, but nevertheless, we have somebody who is a much bigger personality than myself and Wheeler combined, even, you know, Wheeler uh, on all the fruit beer that he drinks combined. Chuck Rocha has been a, a guest on our program before. He has East Texas Roots. He runs Solidarity Strategies. He has run congressional campaigns, gubernatorial campaigns. Uh, maybe the highlight of his career. I don't, I don't want to say this is the highlight of your career, Chuck, but uh, working on the presidential campaigns with Senator Bernie Sanders, both of his uh, campaigns. That, I mean, that, that must have been incredible. And, and you probably slept none, I guess. That's right. right. It was, it was uh, interesting. It was a long way from, nine, from the early 1990s and Ann Richards when folks are like, how did you work for Ann Richards and you worked for Bernie? I'm like, I am really old and I have evolved. Well, well man, hey, listen, I, I really appreciate you reaching out because we, we love having you on. We had you on with, I think, Mike Madrid uh, talking about the uh, Latino Vote podcast that you guys do together. Um, East Texas Roots, I mentioned that. For, for our listener who can't see Chuck, like I can on, on the Zoom call here, where he's joining us from Washington, D.C., where his political firm, Solidarity Strategies, is based. Joining us, as always, with your trademark cowboy hat on here. Uh, I, I love the, the uh, Texas accent, man. Let's, let's dive right into this. Uh, early voting is October 24th here in Texas. I'm watching the polls. Everyone's watching the polls. Do any Democrats have a shot at all of flipping any statewide seat? I think that do they have a shot? I never, after Donald Trump, say that nobody has a shot because I was one of those fools saying Donald Trump wouldn't have a shot because common sense would tell most folks in my party Donald Trump shouldn't have a shot and kiss my buddy one. So what I would say is that I've been working in Texas politics for over 30 years. I've seen a lot. I remember back when we had Democrats elected statewide. I remember when growing up 13 miles outside of Tyler, Texas, there were locally elected Democrats who really stood for working folks. I remember my grandmama uh, on that little farm I grew up on telling me that, well, we vote for the Democrats because they're with the workers and the Republicans is with the rich people. Like we've come a long way from that. And I think what's different now, there's lots of things that are different. We could do a whole TED talk on yeah. what's different, but the amount <laughs> of money that Beto O'Rourke has raised and Jason, you know this, you report on it, just makes a difference. And the last time that he ran, people don't talk about this enough, that he lost, of course he lost. He got closer than he should have gotten. He got, all oh, that's good. But what they don't talk about is the amount of money that went into a ground operation that elected Democrats down ballot in that race because there's no Texas Democratic Party. Gilberto Hinojosa, you're listening to this. This ain't no slam on you. You're my brother. I love you. I love the Texas Democratic Party. But just like them, they've complained about not having any money forever. So when you get somebody like Beto infusing money into county parties for them to knock on doors, then anything could happen. Somebody could catch fire. And if you said today, Chuck, who has the best chances? Of course, it's Beto because he's raised the money, but also uh, Garza running for attorney general. I like, you know, having a Latina surname on the ballot means a lot. 
Yeah, you know, with Wheeler not here, Chuck, I'm all thrown off in my rundown here and everything else. We didn't crack a beer, man. You brought a oh, beer. Oh, I did with bring a beer. Too, yeah, right? yeah. And for all of you I, that can't, what do you got? I, I got a local. I, I couldn't get no Texas beer here in DC, so this is a local DC brewery, uh, independent brewers. It's called Right Proper Brewing. Now, I think the way I probably say Right Proper Brewing is the different than the way they do it, but it says. This is the furthest thing from me. Hell, it says diamonds, fur coat, and champagne beer. Ah, I can't wait. Man. That. Woo. Wow, that's, that's a fancy beer here. Diamonds, champagne, and fur coat Ooh, beer. Right proper. Look here. It, it don't have nothing. It just says right proper brewing company in D.C. <laughs> that's a, a pretty basic looking can. How's the taste? Tastes like one of them Indian things, Indian ales. That's what it tastes like. Oh, uh, IPAs? Yeah, that, that, yeah. Yeah. That's what it. Yeah. I, I'm having a. Uh, Go ahead. Uh, I was gonna say I grew up on natural light and Kurz light and Tyler, so this is a good. This sound tastes good to me. <laughs> I'm having a uh, a Heart of Texas Red Ale. This is from Four Corners Brewing Company in Dallas. I'm, I'm a big fan of Four Corners. They have local buzz, uh, a number of others. At some point, I must have bought a 12 pack of Heart of Texas because I, I've been drinking uh, drinking this for for quite oh, a while. Look at here. Look so, at here. Hang on, Jason. Look what I put it yeah, in. Yeah. Look at my koozie. Uh, water burger. I got a water burger koozie. Make at least so people, if I run into a Texan drinking this shitty ass DC beer, nobody <laughs> don't know it ain't from Texas. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, yeah, you're representing a little bit here for. So let, let's get into Democratic politics here because, uh, you know, Beto's the race we're watching. You mentioned Rochelle Garza, who's running for Texas Attorney General. We've had her on, on the program as well. She's polling closest, I believe, of of any uh, Democrat who is running for statewide office of, of actually defeating her incumbent. She's still down three to five points, depending on the poll. Let's talk about the congressional races. We haven't really done that on this podcast, on our TV show, Inside Texas Politics, but there are three congressional races in South Texas that you're really watching. Before we get into those congressional races there, this is a question we, we, I've been asking Gilberto Hinojosa, you mentioned a moment ago, who's the uh, chairman of the, of the Texas Democratic Party. And we were down in the Rio Grande Valley in South Texas, the tip of Texas, McAllen. Edinburgh, I heard y'all had some tacos Jenner, down there if I heard just right. Man, I came back and my, my belt was a lot tighter <laughs> and it was, dude, it, it was bad news. Uh, but here's a question that, that I've been asking down there and, and I'm trying to get a, a handle on it. Is the Valley in threat of, of being taken over by Republicans? For, for years, it's been a stronghold for Democrats, but people don't realize they're conservative Democrats. The Latinos who live there are conservative Democrats. Is, is it in jeopardy? I think that it's in jeopardy of moving. I think that it's, there's not a wave going on in South Texas, but there is a, a, a gradual movement of voters. You just can't, you can't argue that fact, right? And the difference is, and you remember this going back forever, is that nobody ever did anything down in the Valley because it was solid blue. Well, guess what? It's still solid blue. If you could see me now, behind me is a map that has every congressional race in the country and everything is really red. And even the tip of Texas on this map is still dark blue, but it's not as dark blue as it used to be. You know, it used to be 80%, 70% Democratic. And every year it's gotten a little little more Republican until you saw this phenomenon of Donald Trump. And then you saw a spike, 20 points here, 15 points here. Some counties had a 30-point jump. And that was two parts. One is it's Republicans down there competing for that vote and you having somebody that every Mexican down there knows who is Donald Trump. And, and I talk about this publicly with my own party, it exposed the underbelly of the weakness of the Latino outreach operation by Democrats, if at all, because we just assumed that these Latinos down there who had always been Democrat would always be Democrat with us doing no work to persuade them one way or the other. And now we're seeing the repercussions of that, Jason. Mm. Well, let's talk about these congressional races because this could really be a problem for Democrats. Republicans have, have made tremendous strides and, and, and flipping uh, you know, a, a lot of hearts and minds in the Rio Grande Valley and one congressional seat in a special election earlier this year. Uh, let's talk about Myra Flores first. She is running against Vicente Gonzalez. Um, and, and Vicente, for our, our listeners who don't know, is a, uh, a Democrat who switched over from a different uh, district. Uh, Myra Flores is uh, a Republican, brand new to the political Born scene. Born in Mexico. And she, yeah, the, the first Latina Republican, I think, elected to Congress, I yep, believe, yep, Chuck. For is, sure. Uh, I believe my uh, memory's correct on that. 
But, you know, I saw a headline the other day, Chuck, that, that uh, someone had handicapped the race saying that Myra might actually win this, even though this seat was drawn for Democrats, this incumbent Republican, incumbent for only, what, six months or so, she might actually keep this Man, seat. it keeps me awake at night. As the senior most Latino operative in Washington, D.C. or in the country, I know this is going to come back on me, so that's why I'm raising flags well before Election Day. Now, for all of you Texas nerds who listen to this podcast like I do, let me make sure that I draw the, the map right for you. So we know we had redistricting in Texas. And what it, me and Jason are talking about are these three districts that run literally down the border, starting in Laredo all the way to Brownsville. And each one of them are cut like a piece of bacon going north and south. And both of them go from Laredo in the Henry Cuellar district over to the west side of the San Antonio suburbs. Guess what? The 15th, which is rooted in McAllen, next to the CD I just mentioned, goes straight up to San Antonio as well and gets the southern part of the suburbs. And then the Brownsville seat runs north up towards Corpus Christi, staying just to the west of it and going up and getting some suburbs up there as well. So the top of these CDs are very red and the bottom of them up to a few years ago were very blue. Now, during redistricting, hmm. let me also lay this out here. They made all of these districts less democratic except for the district in brownsville that they made more a democratic excuse me they made the other two more republican so henry cuellar just so everybody knows under the new lines is a d plus seven district by joe biden joe biden would have won that district by six to seven points i think it's six and a half so it's a d plus six we say in the business right jason and then in the middle seat, which is the old Vicente seat, which is now an open seat. We'll get to this because he moves to the Brownsville yeah. seat. That new seat, because of all the suburbs they put in at the top, is a R plus one and a half, R plus two. Now, the, 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 I've done a lot of work on this thing. Now, the, the voters that really make the difference in this CD are in uh, the county that McAllen is, is in. And what they did is they moved 100,000 Latino Democrats from uh, McAllen County over to uh, the Brownsville County, uh, Hildago, I keep saying the county, but it's Hildago uh, down right. to Brownsville, right? And so that made that district that used to be represented, I know this is confusing, sorry, y'all, but it used to be represented by Congressman Philemon Vela. And, and to Jason's point, that's why we had to have a special election because he resigns and now they have to have a special election, but y'all need to remember that even though they make the new Vela district now, a get this, a D plus 15 seat, Myra Flores won in the old seat, which was about a D plus seven or eight, which is still crazy that a Republican could win even that seat that Philemon Vela won forever, that God almighty, you old Mexicans like me remember Solomon Ortiz, who represented that area forever. So these are the ways that the lines have changed. The big difference, and I'll stop, Jason, because I know you have a follow-up. No, go ahead, is, man. I, I love hearing it. Go ahead. Is that now Myra, who won in the special election in the D plus eight, has to win now again, but in the new drawn district, that's a D plus 15, and she has to run against an incumbent because, God, it's so confusing, but Vicente Gonzalez moves over to run in this seat and he's got a couple million dollars in the bank. Unlike in the special election where the Democrats didn't spend nothing, Vicente's got his own money and got his own voting record. And folks have been voting for Vicente. What they never talk about in this district, Jason, this is for folks at home to realize, is that McAllen and Brownsville are so close together, they share a media market. So every bit of advertising that Vicente's done over the last eight years, they've seen it in Brownsville. They know Vicente Gonzalez. And all of the work that's been done for and against Vicente as we led into this was done in the market. So Vicente set up really well to win this thing. But again, the wind is at her back. I think Vicente will win this. He probably won't win it by 15. But these are the nuances of what I'm seeing going on down there. Well, and just so our listeners understand this, when you when you say D plus one or R plus one, that I means the D is Democrat, you know, has leads by eight or 15 points or whatever. Republican plus one leads by one, two, three, four points, whatever that is. Just so our uh, little legend there for our, our, our listener to uh, to follow along with. If if Myra is running in a D plus 15 seat. How in the world is, is are people talking about her potentially 
you know, taking a bite out of or, or putting a dent in this. And, 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 and to zoom out, Chuck, what does that say about what's going on in the Valley if she's able to do something it's like exactly that? It's exactly the point. She don't have to win. She just has to get closer, lose by three or four, and I'm going to lose my mind because that means, for all of you at home, things shifted 10 points. What people don't realize in the Valley, and with these voters in the Valley turning, quote, unquote, I've got my air quotes out, y'all can't see, is turning is they're all registered Democrats. These folks down there ain't re-registering as Republicans. They're Democrats walking in and voting for Republicans. Not at great numbers, but enough of a numbers to sway and move things. It used to be in the last election cycle, the Catalyst Institute and the Catalyst data set said on average, Donald Trump overperformed Joe Biden by about eight points. That means in some places like Texas and um, Miami-Dade, it was 20 or 30 points. And in places like Arizona, it was two points. And in New York City, it was eight points. And so overall, it was eight. You, I just want to stop that slide because if this slide continues, Democrats can't win nationwide. And when we tell, this is why I really want to be on the podcast today. When the story is told about how Latinos did for the Democratic Party after the 2022 midterms, it will be focused on South Texas, on did Vicente win and by how much? Did Henry Cuellar win and by how much? And if things stay the way they stand now, maybe electing a Republican in this seat rooted in McAllen that hasn't never elected a Republican in the history of the CD, which is crazy. So I, I'm still not clear on, on, on why these registered Democrats in the Rio Grande Valley are looking at the other side. Is it, was it Trump and his personality? Was it, is it the GOP that's making investments in, in South Texas? I wish, or is there something else going on? I wish, Jason, it was one thing. And I could say, well, if you screwed on your hat backwards, you could do it. But I, it, it ain't yeah. one thing. It's a combination of three or four things. One is it exposed that Democrats had never done any work down there in the Valley, really, other than some good local operatives who do good local work, but they'd never got any funding to do long-term organizing when a whole new generation of Mexicans down there, and I keep saying Mexicans, y'all, because all three of these districts are over 76% Mexican-American, which aren't a little bit Mexican or a little bit Latino or a little bit Hispanic, almost 80 percent everybody who lives in these districts are mexican-american just about many of them being there for wow. generations like me right so what you have is because they'd always been blue is you never have the county party funded by the state party you never got this and i talked to gilberto about this he's like i'd love to put millions of he's from brownsville for god's sake y'all the chairman right. of the party and he has begged for money for this area for a long time and nobody at the national level has ever given money to anybody to do any long-term organizing in the Valley. But then six years ago, you start seeing groups like the Libre Initiative putting an office in Brownsville that was funded by the Koch brothers. And then you start seeing Facebook groups pop up for the Republicans. Now, Jason, why did they do that? I think it's a combination of Latinos coming of age quicker. Nobody's talking to them about why they're Democrat or Republicans. You have Republicans doing some outreach. I kind of think it's half-ass, but doing some outreach. So you start seeing a shift, you know, in the vote. So there's a number of things that go on. But when people step to me and are like, well, Chuck, uh, is it really that conservative down there? And is it really a bunch of Republican acting? I said, well, let me remind y'all one thing that's going to blow your mind is that the old man from Vermont that I ran his presidential campaign, Bernie Sanders, won every single county in Texas that touches Mexico because we ran a campaign down there and spent $2 million and invested in Spanish communication, not talking about how much Joe, Bernie Sanders loved Fidel Castro, but running commercials saying the system is rigged against working class Americans and working class Americans are you brown folks in the Valley. So Jason, another one of your points is Democrats have gotten really, really bad at messaging to working people. Hence why you see the non-college educated white vote going towards Donald Trump at such big margins. Well, guess who else acts like a non-college educated white voter, a non-college educated Latino voter. When I joined the union in 1990 in Tyler, Texas, at the Kelly Springfield Tire Plant, the union president said, we all vote Democrat here, and you're going to register as a Democrat because we're all with Ann Richards, and we're all with all these Democrats because they're with us on our stuff, and these are the, but you've seen over time, our party become the party of the rich white elites, even though we, our policy many of times helps working class Americans way more than any Republican ever would, but we are not good at talking about it.
Isn't that crazy how just in our lifetimes, the, the parties have shifted because the, the GOP for, you know, I remember growing up in the, in, in the, in the 80s and, and the 90s, it was all, all Republicans are all about big business and, and millionaires. Chamber of and, Commerce. And the and the, yes. And Democrats are, are with are, the are union folks, working right. class. That is that is completely flipped. Here's what I don't get. You mentioned six years ago when when uh, the GOP and conservative groups started you know started putting a dent in the valley. Why haven't Democrats on a national level responded? It's it. I beat my head against the wall every day because there will be two billion dollars spent in just the Senate races this year. Like there's plenty of money in the plenty in the political atmosphere, but donors just don't get. And they've been hoodwinked a little bit in Texas, to be honest with you, because most of the money spent in Texas, and there's an argument to be made by this, is that all the people live in Houston and Dallas and San Antonio. Now they do, because people focus on the Valley and people on Twitter come at me all the time going, well, Chuck, there is uh, more people in two neighborhoods in Houston than the entire Valley combined. And they're right. It's more dense in Houston. It's more dense in South Oak Cliff. Y'all can't come at me in South Military in San Antonio. I've worked all over Texas, for God's sakes. I've been in these neighborhoods. But it's the narrative of our community, right? It's, it's making sure that we win this back because I'm going to have to defend Latino voters voting Democrat for two years as we lead into trying to reelect Joe Biden. And what that does is that stops more money, right? Now, a lot of these, um, what do you call them? These political professionals and consultants like me, and I see my privilege. I get to high, work at the highest level. The difference is, is I'm a- Are you a man of privilege here, I Chuck? Am a, I got a nice fancy <laughs> row house here in Washington, DC that cost me more than every trailer house I ever lived in combined. I'll promise <laughs> you that. But the big thing is, is that I grew up on a dirt road in Smith County, Texas, on a working farm. Remember how, what it was like for my mama to go get government cheese and what it was like for me to go to work in that tire factory. And I'm like, hashtag dirt road Democrat. I remember that. I'm the only one like that in the senior levels of Democratic operatives who understand what I just said, because they are all overeducated, well-intentioned, by the way, woke white folks who read a poll and are like, mm, you know, Latinos really don't participate at a high enough level. And so we really should not make them part of our winning equation and really double down on what we're doing with the suburban women in the white suburbs and do some more TV. And that wins the day because there's not somebody in the room like me going, what the hell is wrong with you dumbasses? Like the average uh, age of a Latino wow. in America is 28. Pull your head out of your ass. Wow. I, I, I don't get, I mean, when when I'm on the outside, and I'm watching what the the GOP is doing successfully. When they're opening these, uh, you know, community centers. When you see these other Facebook groups pop up. When you see how well uh, Donald Trump did it in the Valley. I, I don't get why the Democrats haven't responded even after these things have happened. Much less you sitting in the same room with members of your own party saying, hey, take guys, are you kidding me? I, Pull your head out. I think it's really important to say something and lift up people that are doing it horribly, but also people that are trying to do the right thing. After the last election, it needs to be noted that folks in the Senate and folks at the DNC were like, holy crap, y'all, something's going on and we need to get ahead of this before 2024. So what I've seen this year that I've never seen in my 32 year career of doing campaigns is the DNC started running Spanish language ads on radio and digital eight months before the midterm talking to the Latino community and Hispanics about what Joe Biden had done. Cause let's be clear, Joe Biden has done more in two years to help Latino working class folks, whether it's vaccines, money, infrastructure, the, the literally the inf, the inflation reduction act, like a bunch of good things. So at least the DNC in targeted markets have been doing that advertising, but it wasn't in Texas. It was in places where there were Senate races. So Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Phoenix, that's one a, that's a good thing. B the mm. Senate campaigns who knows it all rides on the Senate has outspent Republicans get this 16 to one in the Senate States on Spanish communication, showing me that they knew something was going on. They've jumped out there early and, and full disclosure, I do a bunch of work for the Senate super PACs and I'm privileged to work with them. And I think some of the best work going on out there, the literally the Senate super PACs may save the entire majority in the Senate and in the house, because what I see in my research is the house races that overlap with big Senate races where there's lots of Spanish spending going on by the super PACs are performing at like six points better than the other states like Texas that don't have some big overarching media narrative happening, which is crazy.
Before we talk about the other two congressional races, I, I want to you know go back for our listener to to explain why we had you on the first time. Uh, and it, I remember the conversation the first time a few months back, and you guys were talking about how important it is for a candidate, regardless of party, to directly reach out to Latino voters. Don't take a script that you crafted and produced for black voters or for white voters or for Republicans and try to just get it transcribed and revoiced and, and, and slap on uh, you know, Univision or Telemundo or something like that. You need to specifically reach out. Who are Democrats doing that this cycle as we close in in the last couple of weeks here, I Chuck? I think it's a tale of two cities. In the in the Senate, they are doing that. You know, you look at the way Fetterman is overperforming. You look at Mark Kelly in Arizona, who's at almost seventy percent with Latinos, because he has a team of Latinos around him writing scripts, working mm. in the community. But to your point, and let's look at these three congressional races because in the House. It is a different ball game and it is not going well. And to make my point for me, and this is no disrespect to Henry or to Vicente, who is literally one of my best friends. I know I'm just good friends with all of them. What I'm fixing to say is not meant ugly towards them or their staff, but it's, it's just needs to be highlighted that in three congressional districts where the average population of Latinos is over 76%, all three of these Democrats have a white campaign manager, a white media consultant, a white pollster, and a white messaging firm doing all of the work in South Texas to try to message to Latinos. How? How, <laughs> how, how does that happen? How, they, I mean, they're, they're Latino candidates, and they know where they are, and they know that who they have to get out. Why are... I don't get it, man. Well, I think part of this is the candidates know the community. And there's and there's no doubt in my mind, Vicente knows his community, Henry knows his community, and Michelle knows her community. But what it highlights is the lack of diversity. If we can't find three Latino campaign managers or three Latino media consultants to work in districts that are almost 80% Latino, then us as a Democratic Party have a problem. And we're going to have a problem is for there, a is- long time. Well, is there a shortage of, of Latino, uh, you know, politicos who, who do those jobs? There's always been a shortage of Latinos in the hierarchy of campaigns because the entry point to that is many times an unpaid internship. And because yeah. we tend to be more broke than folks who can maybe get a loan from their mom and daddy, there's just not as many of us in the system. But when it comes to media mm. consultants, look, and all due respect, I'm one of, I am one of them. I am one of the main ones. But there are five or six big media firms that are owned by Latinos, whether it's me, James Aldrete, Lorena Chambers, Cesar Blanco, like I can go down the list. But when it comes to these house races, it's really controlled by the party committee, which is the DCCC. And the DCCC this week, and I know you want to get to this, just pulled out and never has spent a dime for Michelle Viejo, while the Republican committees have spent three and a half million dollars to elect Monica de la Cruz. This is my point. What's your reaction when you heard that? It just made it just made my skin crawl because I understand that there has to be budgetary decisions. And and I worked on a presidential campaign, Jason, where we had COVID and I had to call 500 staffers and say, the campaign's over. We're done. We're going to get behind Biden. And I've made some really shitty calls in my lifetime as a senior political guy. And I know that you have to sometimes walk away from a district that you think you can't win, but not this time. This is a race where if we walk away and let Michelle lose by a big number, it will haunt Texas Democrats forever because it will make more people feel more comfortable in the Valley voting Republican that are Latino. And then this week alone, Jason, the House Majority PAC C4 or C3 announced $1.8 million radio buy down there in Spanish where they're not mentioning the word Democrat because they're running it through their nonpartisan eye. So they're literally going to run ads to turn out Republicans on Spanish language radio stations that say, don't forget, just go vote. It don't matter who you vote for. Vote for somebody who stands with our community and just go vote. Now, as an old Mexican redneck from East Texas who knows the trends in the Valley right now, it seems those commercials may be turning out the wrong people. I I mean, again, I'm on the outside of this looking in, Chuck, but I, to me, when I'm looking through the window, what's going on here, the Democrats are handing over the Rio Grande Valley in South Texas to the GOP. It seems that way. But I think that the good news for Democrats 
is that most Latinos, most Hispanics, and especially these young people in the Valley who are working class folks like I am, many of them wear a cowboy hat like me and drive a big old truck and all of them own a gun. But the one thing that they care about is their livelihoods and working. And they're a little more progressive than their mom and daddy. Like they think that everybody should have some health care. They believe that we should save the environment for the long term, much more so than older and truly more conservative Latinos. When people say that that demographics is a destiny, I push back and say demographics is an opportunity. And what Republicans have figured out is that they're in a demographic cul-de-sac. They ain't got nowhere to go. They can only make so many more old white rich men. So they smartly have said, well, let's go see if we can, you know, get a few of these folks around uh, religion or around uh, 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 the border or security. And all of these big Senate races, Jason, that I'm working in, Republicans are beating the you know what out of Democrats on crime. You know, and, and what we don't talk about in the Valley, because they ain't from down there, Jason, and they couldn't believe this is actually really happening. But me and you know, because we've been there, is the rise in the Valley of the Baptist Church the rise in the Valley of the born agains. Now keep in mind that's coming from a Mexican from East Texas who was saved, who was baptized through the water. Like I've been through it myself. You can't teach me about religion. I grew up in a Baptist church. And when Myra and that preacher that she's with down in Brownsville talk about God and country and family, I was like, Holy mess. We may be in trouble here because how are you going to say you ain't for God, family and country? Yeah. I, 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 I just don't get it. It seems like the, the Democrats just, just, aren't being competitive they aren't trying i'm sure i'll hear from somebody um you know gilberto hinojosa told me a, a few weeks ago i asked him the same question about when, are there is are democrats giving up the valley he said no no no, no. the the republicans are you know much more of a, a facade than anything else but if you look at the results so far that doesn't look like, look like a facade to me hey look go ahead i was go gonna ahead. say part of that is true that what we're finding in polling right now is a lot of the younger uh -huh. democrats instead of voting republicans may be staying home which scares me just as bad so, mm. and, and the good news about texas is beto o'rourke takes this very seriously and he just announced two weeks ago he's dumping four million dollars in texas on a spanish language tv buy that goes a long way thank god he's doing it because nobody else really has the money to do it. So he's putting his yeah. money where his mouth is. And I think Beto's running a good operation. How does this, how does that race end up, you think, on November I think it's closer than people think. I, does people think, does the, does the Republicans overperform? Absolutely, they're going to overperform. But I think Democrats are going to overperform too. And I think because Beto's done the work of long-term organizing, what you can't measure with Beto is about two points on the ground of him really running a good ground operation. And I'm seeing bilingual mailers. I'm seeing this media buy. So those are things that I've never seen happen by a statewide Democrat ever before. Does it help that he speaks Spanish out of curiosity? Because we're going back to the congressional races, but I'm just curious. I would think that would probably help to for a, a, a you know Spanish-speaking person to hear like, a candidate. Does that does that matter? It's like these damn community centers everybody wants to talk about that the Republicans are opening. They don't really matter. Just like him speaking Spanish don't really matter. What matters is the dollars on TV and digital to tell somebody what you're going to do to make their life better. That makes a difference. Yeah, and we talk about fundraising numbers. You hear fundraising numbers all the time, but fundraising numbers are so important because that's the money that you need to actually go buy these commercials and produce these ads. And uh, we've seen a lot of effective ones. Let, let's talk about the other two congressional races down there. Congressman Henry Cuellar running for re-election uh, down there. He is a Democrat. He is a conservative Democrat. He has been critical of the Biden administration on the border down there, we have seen. But man, he barely squeaked through the primary uh, how does it look for him in November? Again, he's running in a new seat. His old seat was like D plus 10, D plus 11. Yeah. Now it's like D plus six or seven. And they added a bunch of uh, San Antonio um, exurbs or uh, suburbs. So the big thing here is he's running against a woman who, quote unquote, in the Democratic circles is not as crazy as the two women. Democrats are saying Myra Flores and Monica De La Cruz, who are very MAGA Trump. The woman Henry's running against worked for Ted Cruz in the U.S. Senate. She is, knows her stuff, and she's very polished on the campaign trail. That's A, there's a real formidable challenge, more, I would say, um, more modern campaign being run in, in Texas 28. And so I just noticed last week that the House Majority PAC, uh, Nancy Pelosi's Super PAC, just dumped another million dollars in this race. Now, Jason, you'd go, 
didn't you just say it was a D plus six Chuck, a D plus seven? Yes. Yeah, so right. We're spending that kind of money to defend D plus seven seats, which back 10 years ago in my books was a very safe democratic seat. Absolutely. Then this is something that's very problematic, but here's what nobody's talking about. And this is why y'all listen to y'all because here's some behind the scenes stuff. Henry Cuellar could lose because nobody's talking about 10,000 young women in that district that are going to go vote and will skip his name on the congressional line because he's the last pro-life Democrat in the U.S. House. And they are all still really burnt by Jessica Cisneros barely losing to Henry in a runoff. These two people hated each other. Their campaigns hated each other. There are women and lots of young women in this district who will not ever pull the lever for Henry Cuellar. And it's never been close enough to where that mattered. But this time, it could matter. And I'm not advocating one way or the other. I'm just giving you some good old redneck math that you need to remember. Wow. So Cisneros, so for our listeners who haven't followed this race very closely, Jessica Cisneros was the Democrat who ran against Henry uh, Cuellar, challenged him. She's much more progressive time, than Cuellar was. Second time, and and the, this was back during the March first primary. It was a razor thin race. People thought that Cuellar might lose, an incumbent might lose. That's highly rare. He squeaks it out, but but Chuck, you think that her supporters, fellow Democrats, might just skip this Democratic uh, candidate as they go down the ballot? Think about this, Jason. It went to a runoff, so then it went for like another month and a half, and then he barely wins again. And if you look at it. And you look at the results like I haven't done a deep dive into the data. Guess what? Henry Cuellar wins Webb County, which is where Laredo is, by 70 points. But guess who won the set, the Bear County part of the district also by 70 points was Jessica Cisneros. And so if those wow. folks in Bear County who overwhelmingly are more liberal, they're more open, and I just don't see as much as I have been around women who have really been burnt by this Dobb decision and who are really, really, and rightfully so in my mind, energized. Think about everything that's been talked about, about the Dobbs decision and choice. And Henry Cuellar is the last Democrat in Congress who's still pro-life. That's why I feel like my old Texas neck kind of crinkles up when I'm like, they ain't going to vote for him. And this is why he could lose. And it's probably showing in the polling, hence why the party's dumping another million dollars for Henry. Wow. It's, it's just, uh, it's fascinating to, to even think about. I want to talk about abortion in just a moment, but there's one more yep. congressional race that we need, to, we need to get to in the Valley. Another strip of bacon, because that's exactly what these districts look like. Tell us about this. So this is another crazy race now. Now keep in mind, Vicente's moved next door. It's an open race. And this guy, Ruben Ramirez, who ran against Vicente the very first time. And to give you all a little history, I worked for Vicente in his very first race. Uh, and, and this guy was a nice guy. He was a veteran. He was a school teacher and a lawyer. Ruben Ramirez. And so he's running. And a bunch of other folks, I was helping a guy down there named John Villalobos, uh, who was a lawyer, uh, uh, um, not Villalobos, that's another guy who would call me, uh, uh, Villarreal. <laughs> I was helping a guy named John Villarreal. And John uh -huh. made third place, didn't make it to the runoff. And then this woman, organizer, small business woman, who the local lefty community organizing group in the, they call themselves the Pueblo. They recruited this woman to run because there was not a single progressive running in this primary of the six candidates, no progressive. Even my guy was pro-business, lawyer, moderate, ran as a moderate, just like wow. Ruben. And Michelle makes the runoff and makes the runoff by just beating my guy via Real by a couple hundred points. My guy ends up endorsing Michelle in the runoff. Uh, and then her and Ruben have a really close race and get this y'all, she beats Ruben in the runoff by 31 votes. That's it, 31 votes. And she is completely broke and has no money. Monica De La Cruz has kind of run through all the people that was going against her. So now she starts at zero and the national party up here is already starting the whisper campaign because they really don't want to work in this race. 
And they're like, you know, she's a little bit too liberal. She's kind of a Bernie Sanders Democrat. This really ain't the right kind of Democrat for us in this area. And so they go to her and she plays ball with the national parties. She comes out and comes out against Bernie Sanders, comes out against Medicare for all, and is trying to line up to be, she says, she keeps playing up the roots that I'm a small businesswoman, and she is. And let me be clear, I love Michelle Viejo. And I think she's got a long career, whether she wins or not. But me, the old Mexican in DC, I could see the writing on the wall. Then the house majority pack in the D trip, put down a bunch of money for reservations. And then they start pulling those reservations back as we get closer to the election. I'm like, uh-huh. They ain't even going. You, you mean, you mean ad reservations yeah, ad, like for TV stations, sorry, or keep, radio yeah, stations. Yeah. Yeah. So they start pulling them down as they're getting closer, end up not spending any money until this week, the house majority pack went up with a little bit of money, but they never were going to play in this race, even though they put out a memo saying they were going to move resources somewhere else. And they took a big flat because Axios reported that they were pulling out. They weren't going to play in Texas 15. I went on Twitter and was like, pulling yeah. out, they ain't never been in. Like, it's just not, it's, it, I've been doing this too long and I can show yeah. you. And so it's a shame because we're going to end up losing this race and because Michelle's been doing it by herself. Now, I'll give credit to the Congressional Hispanic Caucus as well. They've put in money through the bull pack, but they don't have unlimited purse strings. You know, it's a hundred thousand dollars, but at least the Congressional Hispanic Caucus is there trying to help Michelle while the rest of the National Party is only spending a little bit of money. Now, the DCCC has got some people on the ground, and I don't know what they're doing digitally or with mail, but in the TV buy, they ain't done much of nothing. Mm. Can, can Democrats afford to lose the valley? Long term, we'll never win another statewide election if we don't stop the bleeding in the valley. Now, I know the numbers in Dallas and Houston are bigger than the valley, but y'all, whatever starts in the valley is going to spread to other places if we don't stop the bleeding now. So I do think it has an impact statewide. Uh, and think about all the rearrangements down there with the state senator and the Lon Matia that's running in that seat down in Brownsville. This is a state senator, y'all, one of the last conservative Democrats. And there's just so much changing down there that we can't give up on that area. Well, what's the wild card in, in November, uh, Chuck? Is, is, is it abortion? Is it Uvalde? Are, are, are any of these things going to sway the election either way? It's, I mean, when you, when you look at the polls inflation, border security, those two things really are at the top, especially, uh, you know, Democrats have this working against them with Biden in the uh, in the White House right now. Is, is there anything else out there that's going to sway them? It really comes down to what you see here in the closing arguments. The closing arguments with Republicans right now are guns and crime. The closing arguments for Democrats are abortion and guns. And I, I, I wrote an op-ed about this the other day, and I haven't put it anywhere yet but the real question and the wild card for democrats is does the growth and the new energy with women showing up who normally wouldn't show up because of dobbs and that's a real thing that is a real thing women are going to show up but does men voting more republican because all of our ads were about abortion or about guns because of uvaldi and they should be there was there should have been a time for a conversation around economy, inflation, and all the things Joe Biden and Democrats are fighting for every day to make people's lives easier when it comes to the economy and their everyday lives. Because the men in the family who abortion matters to me as a man, don't get me wrong, but most working class men in Texas, for God's sakes, this ain't the message you use to get them motivated to show up in a midterm. Yeah, that's a good point, though. The Dobbs decision, which for a listener who might not realize is, is the decision that overturned Roe versus Wade, um, that had a, a tremendous su surprise in Kansas, Ruby Red, Kansas. Uh, you know, the, the, the voters there showed earlier this year, a few we months back, that, that they did indeed want, uh, you know, freedom, reproductive freedom there. Um, do, do you think, though, that, that that's really going to sway people? That that's going to sway women and, 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 and bring a point or two to Democrats? It has been in the special election in New York. Like, I can't tell you before the election, yeah. but I can just give you what you said about Kansas, what, what happened in a New York City special election, not in the city, but upstate, in the state, in a swingy district after the Dobbs decision. The only special election after the Dobbs decision, we win a district that looks a lot like Texas 15 as far as Republican performance. It was an R plus two. And we beat him, those people, on the choice issue. And in poll, when I get to see polls that a lot of you don't, so I won't say where I see them to protect my clients because I, unlike most practitioners, 
or folks on podcasts, I run campaigns every damn day. So I see the polls that really are polls and it does move yeah. women and it does move Democrats. Midterm elections aren't about persuading a bunch of Trump people to vote for us. Midterm elections are about getting people who only vote in presidential elections to show up in off your election. So it's a turnout game more than a persuasion. And the D Dobbs decision as horrible as it was, was a great gift to Democrats to give us something to motivate, especially young women to the polls. And it's been working. The problem is the women already were overperforming for Latino, I mean, for Democrats, especially Latinas. There is a gender gap in the Democratic Party that's just now getting wider, especially with brown men and brown women. Brown women, Latinas were already eight, 10 points better. They were the bedrock of the party like black women, while Latino men had been falling off, whether it was around crime, whether it was around inflation, gas prices. Oh my God, such big things with dudes and big trucks. Like, something that Democrats should be talking about because Democrats ain't even taking money from big oil. When's the last time you saw a Democrat run an ad right. saying a Republican's taking X amount of dollars from Exxon Mobil? Right. No, absolutely. Here, here's the last thing for you, Chuck. Just, just as you, as you look forward to November the 9th, Wednesday, November the 9th, the day after the election, if these polls hold up, um, what do you think Democrats are going to do when they look at the Valley the day after the election, it's uh, I, I, based on me being there a number of time over the years, but re recently talking to you, talking to a lot of Democrats, there doesn't seem to be the investment or the concern right there. And I'm not really clear on why you fill in a lot of gaps for me, but I can't imagine what the conversation is going to be like in, in the conference rooms for uh, the Democratic Party. Well, the ones I'm going to be a part of are going to highlight what the Senate campaigns and the Senate super PACs did to probably save our majorities. Because if we save the majority in the U.S. Senate, it will be because of Latino and black voters in places like Philadelphia, Las Vegas, Phoenix and Milwaukee. That's going to be a big story on what we did right to save the Senate or at least make the Senate close. Uh, the other story. And what I think is going to happen the day after is I think that from what I'm talking to a lot of a lot of members of Congress are my friends, lots of black and brown and Latino voters, I mean, congressmen, and there's already chattering in D.C. about the chairmanship of the DCCC. People are really sick and tired of all the stuff that they're seeing at the D trip from cycle in and cycle out. And I think there's going to be for the first time some big changes. The problem will be it's going to be because we lost a lot of seats that had a lot of Latinos in it. It's going to take a lot of work and a lot of investment to get those folks back to vote in a presidential election. But sometimes you got to, you, you know, get right down to the cob if you're ever going to do anything right. And so I think that's what's going to happen is you're going to see a lot of changing uh, at the at the House committee side and a lot of lifting up of the good things that the Senate did. And, and for our listener who might not know the DCCC, it's the Democratic Congressional uh, Campaign Committee. The Republicans have their own. There's there's a, another one for Democrats and Republicans in the Senate as well. But these are essentially arms of the National Party that invest and put money into uh, competitive here's, seats all Here's the biggest the key to that for you listeners at home, though. The head of the DCCC is in charge of raising money to invest in the House races. And guess what? He or she is elected just by the other members in the Democratic caucus. So if you lose the majority in the House, your fellow members can vote somebody else in to do that job. And that's all I'm mm. saying here is that it is a white man from New York running that committee right now. And there's a lot of Latino congressmen and black congressmen who don't feel like the investment is being taken very seriously in their communities. And they're the ones who elect the head of that, not Chuck Rocha, not the press and not any public elected members of Congress decide who runs that committee. Stay tuned. Man, there is a lot to watch for as we're coming up on November the 8th. Chuck, thanks for reaching out as you always do. Thanks for, uh, thanks for the, the conversation, man. I, I love getting in the weeds on the uh, Democratic side with you. You're, you're great I, at that. I appreciate y'all having me on. And I also wanted to say yeah. in closing, one thing that I forgot to mention sure. is that as much as I like what Beto's doing and he's doing well, I would be remiss if I didn't mention my old friend Jay Kleber, who's running for land commissioner. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Jay's running a really good campaign. He's asked me to do some work for him early on and, and, and help him. Like there's folks like that that are running. And when you say what inspires me, you know, Jay has got a tough road, but Jay's running a good campaign. But that show, Jay works at like the Texas Department, you know, of land and made a movie about lands and like, there's people that really love Texas that are running to represent Texas. And at the end of the day, that's what Texans want. 
They just want people who love their state, who's going to take care of their kids and help them make it easier without folks getting in their way. So I don't want to be all doom and gloom on this podcast. There's a lot of things in Texas that make me very excited about the future of Texas. Jay, Beto, Garza, like there's lots of good things. Just because Chuck Rocha gets on here three weeks before the election and then throws a bunch of hellfire brimstones don't mean I still ain't got a lot of hope for Texas. We got a long way to go, by God, but we're going to get there. And Jay Clayberg is the uh, is the Democratic nominee running for the Texas Land Commissioner. He's running against Dr. Don Buckingham, a state senator from outside Austin and, and Lakeway. Uh, but you, you know what? To your point there, this the last 20, 22 years or so, this is probably the strongest Democratic ballot up and down the ballot that I can remember from, from the top all the way down. You know, Garza was going to run the, turn, the amazing Latina who's running for attorney general. Uh, was running for Congress in Brownsville. Like I got a call from her campaign. Mm. She was going to take on, uh, she was going to take the Vela seat. And like the people in the state got to her and was like, sister, we need you to run statewide. We need you at the top huh. of the ticket. Like there was court, like I give Gilberto and the power brokers credit because they got Collier's a good candidate. Like I listened to your show where Republicans are even back in that fella. Like this is a strong ticket and Beto at the top raising the money. And this is what people don't measure. That money going into Smith County, that money going into Waco, the big cities are going to be fine. But when you start talking about Galveston, Beaumont, Waco, Amarillo, El Paso, Lufkin, Nacogdoches, like Paris, like Texarkana, guys, I've worked in Texas my whole life. Those counties that I just mentioned in cities never get invested and nobody challenges for Democratic votes there. Beto's going to do that in those places. And is it enough? We'll know on Election Day. Yeah, well, let me let me let me go a step further on that before I let you go, Chuck. I'm sure you got people waiting to You're talk good. to you on the no, phone. Um, but if if you look at this Democratic ballot and and for as strong as it is, polls show that that all the candidates are within single digits, but they're they're trailing the Republicans. If this ballot can't produce a winner, what will it take for Democrats to produce a winner? It will go back to the messaging that happened in 1990 in a little union hall at the Rubber Workers Local 746 in Tyler, Texas. When John Nash, who was still alive today in Chandler, Texas, looked across the table at me and said, Democrats are for the workers, Chuck. Republicans is for the rich folks. We got to get back to talking like Ann Richards and John Nash and the old Democrats of Texas. When you knew you voted for one of them, you were voting for the steel worker, for the oil worker, for the shrimp worker, and for all the women out there working, doing their jobs. Like we got to get back to that narrative and get past all the ugly, crazy shit that's going on with you going to your corner and going to my corner and fighting all the damn time. Chuck, love talking to you, man. You, you tell it like it is, and you're always uh, always going to talk to. Chuck Rocher from Solidarity Strategies. He is a, uh, a, a Democratic strategist, consultant, senior most Latino in, in Washington, D.C., Politico in Washington, D.C. Uh, thanks so much for being on Yaltics, man. I really appreciate it. Wheeler missed out on this conversation, and, and he did talk about how much fun he had last time with you and Mike Madrid when you guys were on, so I'll have to shoot him a text and tell him, we had you back on. And now you can listen to us on the Latino Vote podcast with Mike Madrid. We talk about this every week and me and Mike dig into, and Mike's a damn Republican and I'm a Democrat. So we want to create a show where anybody can listen to two old Mexicans bitch about nobody spending enough money trying to talk to our people. Chuck, thanks, man. Thanks for listening to Yalitics as well, guys. We appreciate it. We'll uh, talk to you again next week.